0: It's great to have you here this morning. I'm Darcy, I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, it's just awesome to have everybody kind of in one service this morning. I was wondering if anybody, cause we kind of, somebody said, this was kind of like sleep in Sunday at Generations. So hopefully you're not sleeping right now. Uh, but I was curious if anybody would show up like in a onesie or in matching pajamas or something. But uh, thankfully none of you did. Uh, we do have ushers at the door for a reason. Uh, I'm just kidding but it's great to have you here this morning. And uh, I especially wanna thank everybody that worked so hard to put on an awesome Christmas Eve service. If you were here with us on Christmas Eve, you'll know that we just had such an awesome time together. We had almost 500 people and it was just so great. And special thanks to our, our hospitality team that worked so hard to provide us a lovely uh, refreshments before the service, and then everybody that was involved in the service, especially the, our kids Zone junior leaders. They did such a creative job with uh, telling the Christmas story for us this year and in our kids' moment. And so that was just fabulous. But this morning, we're finishing up a series that we have called Fear uh, Nots. Fear Not. Fear not. Uh, I was flipping through the news this week online, and I was startled by this headline in the National Post. Burst of Christmas earthquakes near Vancouver Island raised fears of the big one. Did you feel it? Of course not. But apparently just before Christmas, there was a flurry of earthquakes off of the island, um, something like nine plus earthquakes in two days. And of course you all knew that, not because you felt anything, but because all of your friends and family across the rest of Canada were furiously texting you going, are you okay? Are you okay? They always find out about this stuff before we do, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now we know earthquakes happen and and big earthquakes happen. In fact, you know, we're all kind of waiting for the big one, right? Right? Did you know that there is a a word that describes the fear of earthquakes? It's called seismophobia. Seismophobia, not to be confused with scolessophobia, which is the fear of earthworms. (laughs) So fear of earthquakes, fear of earthworms. And I, I know that, you know, really earthquakes aren't anything to joke about. And fear is not something to joke about, but it is actually kind of a defense mechanism, isn't it? The reality is, though, that we live in a world that is fueled by fear. Fear actually is big business. Fear sells. Fear is what the news cycle is all about. And whether you're calling attention to the climate crisis or you're the U.S. Center of Disease Control calling attention to the latest antibiotic-resistant superbug, uh, you can find lots of things to be afraid of. In fact, don't worry about climate change. The superbugs are going to get us first, okay? Just, <laughs> just so you know. But in our media-saturated society, we're pummeled with bad news every day. Uh, there's news of social rioting. There's news of airplane crashes, of terror attacks. Of course, deep political hatred and division economic uncertainty, polarizing nationalism, rising fundamentalism, the, the list just kind of goes on and on and on. But the truth is, is that many of us live our lives with this gnawing sense of fear, this gnawing sense of anxiety about the future. It is a cultural reality. Our world is fueled by fear. I've talked with adults and, and seniors. Who are afraid that the world that their children and their grandchildren will inherit will be unrecognizable from the one that they've enjoyed. And I've talked with young people afraid that their life and and their future has been robbed from them. So fear is a real thing. And as the chaos of 2019 comes to an end and we look to 2020, uh, you know, many of us just can't help but ask, what's going to happen next? You know, what's this world coming to? Where is it all going? Because the world and our life, in many ways, seem very much out of control. Wow, isn't that a depressing introduction? Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Well... What I think all of us need to hear this morning are the words of scripture, words that we've been talking about these past few Sundays. Uh, We've been looking at different places in the Christmas story where an angel would appear to someone, and the first thing that the angel would say was what? Fear Fear not. You've been paying attention. That's good. Now, I know the words fear not were specific to the moment of encounter, I mean, if an angel showed up in in your life suddenly, (laughs) there would be reason for him to say, fear not. But the words of the angel echo actually one of the great themes of Scripture. Scripture is full of occasions when God comes to his people, and whether it's through the voice of an angel or the voice of a prophet or that still small voice of his spirit, he speaks the command, fear not." In fact, the command of Jesus that is most often recorded in the Gospels is the command, fear not. Jesus says, fear not. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Jesus says, take courage. Jesus says, take heart. I've overcome the world. And Jesus doesn't give this command to convince us that there's nothing to fear. No, he's well aware that there is plenty for us to fear. What he's saying is that when those moments of fear come, when we face those, those situations where it's only natural for us to be afraid, in those are moments that we need to rely on his presence with us to help us face down our fear and live with faith that God is with us and that he's in control. So it's easy for us to look at our world in fear but the reality is we're not the only generation. We're not the first generation to face fearful times. Uh, Joseph and Mary knew all about fearful and stressful times. In fact, the pressure of their lives, the pressure on their lives had been intense. From that first moment where the angel unexpectedly came and brought news to them about the supernatural intervention in their lives, Uh, they had tumbled into this headlong adventure that not only had them face the social cost of a seemingly illegitimate pregnancy, but it brought them into a close brush with one of the most feared and cruel and powerful political tyrants of their day. In fact, God's call and intervention on their lives put a target on their back. You know, at Christmas we celebrate the joy and the wonder of the birth of the Savior and we love Luke's story of the stable and the shepherds and the angelic announcement of good news of great joy for all people. But to go back to Matthew's story and it has a darker tone. The first hint is when some wise men from eastern lands arrive in Jerusalem. They show up at the city and their question is, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen, we've seen that star. That won't go out, by the way. We've seen that star. And we have come to worship him. And and it says that King Herod was deeply disturbed. And not only him, but all of Jerusalem when he heard this news. Now, Herod was not Jewish. He was Idumean. He was appointed by Rome as King of Judea. And he was a bad dude. He was famous for his wickedness. In fact, Herod would they would quip about Herod. One of the the jokes about Herod in Rome is that I'd rather be Herod's pig than his his servant because he was ruthless. He he was a paranoid tyrant who would stop at nothing to protect the interests of his throne. And the atrocities that he committed were horrendous, uh, including the murder of several of his wives and sons, And so the wise men show up in Jerusalem and Herod secretly meets with them and he says, listen, go to Bethlehem and when you find the baby, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Well, heaven knew that there was conspiracy afoot. And first the wise men were warned in a dream not to return to Herod. And then, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And this time, the angel's message was chilling because the angel said, Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, and stay there until I tell you to return because Herod's going to search for the child to kill him. Think about that for a moment. The king of the land, the ruler with all of the political and military resources at his disposal, was coming for you, was coming for your child. It says that night Joseph left for Egypt with the child. And Mary, his mother, you know, you can almost just see Joseph waking up from that angelic encounter and and shaking Mary awake and says, get dressed, get dressed quickly. We need to leave now. Pack your bags. We've got to go. We've got to run. We need to go now. And we're not told how far Joseph and Mary and Jesus were down the road when Herod sent his henchman to Bethlehem, but it was undoubtedly a close call. Yet as tightly as Herod had tried to hang on to his throne, he could not escape his own death. And we continue to read the story, and we find that Herod dies. In fact, it's something that Matthew in his gospel mentions three times. Herod dies. The tyrant dies. And just as he promised, as the angel again reappears to Joseph in another dream and, and says it's time for him to return home. He says, get up, take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. And you know what? That must have been such good news. That that must have been such a relief to Joseph and to Mary as they dwelt there in, in Egypt, because the danger was over, that the peril had passed, their forced exile to Egypt, their life as refugees had ended, and they could finally return home to the stability of family, the comforts of home, uh, the friendship that they were longing for, and, and just essentially. Get on with life. Go on raising their miracle son. So it says that Joseph got up and returned to the land with Jesus and his mother. But the story's not ended. Because in verse 22, it says, When he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. And that verse 22 is really the verse that I want us to stop and consider this morning now as we've looked at these stories in this series when someone was afraid the angel always says fear not right well not this time this this is the exception if the angel says that to joseph We're not told. Uh, It's not the first time that an angel showed up in Joseph's dream, so maybe he was getting used to it. I don't know. But in this moment, Joseph's fear is not triggered by an unexpected supernatural visitation. The root of Joseph's fear is much more conventional, much more ordinary. It was based on circumstances. It was based on the unknown of what was going to happen next. Yes, you know, mad King Herod was dead. That was great. But as Mary and Joseph began their journey home, likely intending to return to Bethlehem, they learned something that sent a chill of fear through their heart and through their mind. Yeah, Herod was dead. But his 19-year-old son, Archelaus, had been appointed king in his place. And if Herod was a paranoid tyrant, Archelaus was a violent madman, even more unstable than his father. In fact, shortly after Archelaus assumed the throne, there there was a riot at Passover in the temple in Jerusalem. And Archelaus sent in his henchmen, and over 3,000 people were killed. And maybe it was the story of that encounter that Joseph heard. But whatever it was, Archelaus quickly became known for his cruel temper, his mental instability, his callous violence. And so here's Joseph and Mary and the the child on their way back to Bethlehem and Judea when they hear the news that, you know what? Captain Crazy is still on the throne. And after all that they'd been through, after all that they had experienced with with all of the political turmoil and violence and unrest, Matthew's gospel says that Joseph was afraid. Joseph was afraid to go there. And I understand that. I think I would be too. As Joseph thought about all that was happening in his world, as he tried to look forward as we often do as to what was to come, as as we try to make our way, as we try to make our plans, as we try to determine where we should go, as they were literally walking into the next chapter of their lives with all the responsibility that had been placed on their shoulders as the parents and the guardians of the infant Jesus. When they heard the news, there was this undeniable apprehension This anxiety about what was to come. I mean, really, how was this all going to work out? What were they supposed to do? What unseen danger was lurking around the next corner? What was the wise and the prudent course of action given the circumstance that they were facing? As I've pondered this story for the past, well, it's been several months, actually, as we prepared for this series. And as I've considered the world that we live in, uh, the future that is unknown to us, uh, the fears that we face, the decisions that we have to make, in a world that is still ruled by numerous Captain Crazies, in a world where we're facing issues that are far beyond our personal ability to understand, let alone control. I've thought about this story in our context. Uh, There's three thoughts that have just kind of percolated to the surface of my heart that I wanna share with you this morning. I'm going to be quick with a couple of them, so so pay attention. In fact, give your neighbor an elbow and say, you know, this may be sleep in Sunday, but this is a good point to wake up. (laughs) First thought is simply this: friends, God knows our circumstance. God knows. God knows my circumstance. God knows your circumstance. And the first thing that just so powerfully hits me as I read this story is that God knows what's going on in our world. God knows what's going on in our lives. There's nothing that he's not aware of. There's nothing that he hasn't seen. There's nothing that he hasn't heard. There's nothing that he doesn't know. And I don't know if the the wise men were really that wise going to Jerusalem in search of the newborn king. I mean, that's where you'd expect a king to be born. But certainly what they didn't know was the chain of events that would spark by their arrival and their seemingly innocent question, where is he who's born king of the Jews? They didn't know the tragedy that would spiral from that comment. Yet even as evil plans were laid in secret behind palace walls, God knew. God knew what was going on. He knew what Herod was scheming. He knew the trap that the wise men were being drawn into. He knew the danger that baby Jesus was in, even though Joseph could have never guessed. And friends, God knows the circumstances of your life. In fact, God knows it even better than you do and you wonder if God really knows what's going on in your world, the reality is that God knows far more about what's going on in my world and in your world than we ever will. And we can take huge comfort in that. God knows. And because God knows, I don't have to know it all. I don't have to understand it all. I don't have to try and control it all because there is someone who does know, there is someone who does understand and I can live uh, securely in the fact that God actually does know what I'm going through and God knows the issues that I face. So God knows, he knows our circumstances. The the second thought that that hits me from this story is, is simply this, God knows and God will guide us. God will guide us if we will listen and obey. You know, typically Joseph doesn't get a whole lot of airplay at Christmas. But, you know, when you look at the guy's story, he really was a remarkable man of God. God spoke to him repeatedly. And every time God spoke to him, he launched into action. The angel shows up and says, hey, don't be afraid to marry the girl. He goes and marries the girl. The angel says, call the baby's name Jesus. He calls the baby's name Jesus. The angel shows up and says, you know, get up, flee to Egypt. It says they left that night. Now the angel shows up and says, time to go back to Israel. It says, Joseph got up. Time to go. I've heard the word of the Lord. We're moving. So Joseph heard God speak, and every time that he did, he listened and obeyed. And even when they learned that crazy Archelaus had inherited his father's throne, knowledge that struck fear in their heart, they obviously trusted God to come through and to continue to speak to them and continue to guide them. Because it says, when when he learned that the new ruler in Judea was Herod's son, he was afraid to go there. Then, after being warned in a dream, he left the region for Galilee. So, obviously, Joseph continued to seek the Lord. He had his ear to the ground. He was saying, God, what do you want me to do? Help me through this situation. I need your guidance. I need your wisdom. I need your direction in my life. And I read all of that, and I know that what's going on in my life probably isn't as world-changing and world-shaking as the part that Joseph was asked to play, and frankly, thankfully so. I'm not sure I'd want to be in Joseph's shoes. But friends, I, I think the principle is the same. God wants to guide us. He wants to direct us. He wants to help us. That's actually not the question. The question is, are we listening? And maybe even more importantly, are we willing to do what he asks us to do? When Joseph heard God's voice, he got up and he did it. Will you say, well, yeah, I mean, if an angel shows up in my dreams, (laughs) I'd pay attention too. Well, are you paying attention to how God does speak to you? Through his word. Through the voice of the Holy Spirit in your own heart and mind. Through the voice of trusted and mature friends, followers of Jesus. Friends, God will guide us. The question is, are we listening? And even more importantly, will we choose to obey? And if you're not hearing God's voice, if you're not receiving God's direction in your life, I think the, the question is, have you done the last thing that God asked you to do? And if you're not doing it, get with it. And if you are doing it, keep doing it. You know, we just, we just got to keep moving forward, and we need to just trust God that he's going to give us that next step when we need it. I mean, when, when, when life throws us that, that curveball, God knows, and he's still able to guide. We just got to keep moving forward. My dad always used to say, you can't steer a parked car. Some of you not only need to get out of park, you need to take the safety brake off. We need to start moving forward with what God's asked us to do because God knows what's going on and God will guide us if we will listen and obey. Some of you just got a word from the Lord. Third thought that just hits me and frankly, this is the one that's really been the challenge for me. Not only does God know and not only will God guide, but the primary obedience God calls us to is faithful presence, not fearful outrage. And you say, Pastor, what in the world are you talking about? (laughs) What, What are you trying to say? Well, if you haven't noticed, we live in an age that has been described as the age of outrage. Our world is awash in anger. It is awash in division, in hostility. And frankly, there's a lot to be angry about. You know, whether it's the political polarization or climate catastrophes or economic uncertainties. And frankly, those are just kind of the easy hot button issues of our day. There's also other issues, moral issues that can and probably should trigger some anger in our hearts. Issues like sex trafficking and exploitation, abortion, systemic racism, child poverty, opioid addiction, judicial injustice. I mean, there's, there's many things that we could add to that list, but here's the question we need to ask, especially as followers of Jesus. Is our engagement with culture motivated by seeing others experience the goodness of God or a fear of losing our cultural influence? Our engagement and involvement with some of these hot button issues is it really about seeing God's good plan move forward in individuals' lives? Or is it more about us just wanting to kind of assert our rights and our authorities, our place in this world? And, and friends, if we're honest, sometimes our engagement with social and moral issues is not really about the mission of God in the world. Sometimes I'm afraid it's really about us asserting our rights, trying to protect our way, trying to grasp for power, either politically or culturally. And the fear that is in our hearts is that it's too late. We've lost control. So we're gripped by fear. And fear becomes the thing that drives us. It it it, it is what is just there in our hearts as we look at the world around us and the issues that we're facing and what's going on in our, in our nation and, and in our world. But friends, here's what happens when you're afraid too long. Two, two things can happen when, when our lives are, are governed and driven by fear. Number one, you can become apathetic or you become angry. Apathy sets in when you're overwhelmed by the issues that we face. You know, it's just too big, <laughs> they're too bad, there's, there's too much, and there seems so little that we can do about it. And if you try and do something about it, it's going to be hard work, and you're going, to get, you're going to get dirty, it's going to be messy, you're going to be misunderstood. And so many of us look at all that and we check out. We go, you know, really, what can I do? So we become apathetic. It would be the equivalent of of Joseph hearing that Archelaus is on the throne and going, "Hi, you know what? We should just go back to Egypt. We were safe there. And often in our evangelical Christian world, you know, in some ways that has been our way. Rather than engage the world on mission for Jesus, we've withdrawn from it. You know, sometimes we just kind of hunkered down. We're just kind of waiting for Jesus to come back and rescue us. You know, we're living in the end times. Even so, come Lord Jesus. It's scary out there. (laughs) Friends, Jesus is coming back. But until he does, our role is not to hunker down and hold on and just hang on. No, we have a role, we have a job to do. We can't disengage. We are called to exert a faithful presence in our world and we can't allow apathy to sneak in and derail the opportunity that God has for us to make a difference for him in our community, in our country, on this planet. So we can't allow our fear to Allow us to become apathetic. The other thing, the other response that happens when you're afraid too long is anger. Fear leads to anger. And in our current world, frankly, I think this is this is the issue. You can't turn on the television, you can't look at social media, you can't hardly even have a conversation sometimes without this anger that is there, just seemingly percolating below the surface. And fear leads us to lash out in anger at people, people who are not like us, people who disagree with us, the people who don't think like us or don't believe like us. And then fear leads us to put our trust in the wrong people, in the wrong things, for the wrong reasons to put our trust in, in, in people and things to protect us, to provide for us. And then fear leads us to grasp at power and influence in illegitimate ways, especially in times of great social and cultural change. And fear leads us to just kind of turn up the volume and turn up the rhetoric and turn up the accusations and engage in culture wars that encourage us as followers of Jesus to frankly behave in ways that Jesus wouldn't. And to be known mostly for what we're against. Friends, fear and anger never lead to peace. Fear and anger never lead to joy. Fear and anger never lead to a demonstration of Jesus' love. Fear and anger don't help people see Jesus. Yet fear and the anger that comes because of it has become many Christians' calling card. I've seen the Facebook posts. (laughs) And you're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, pastor. (laughs) How in the world did you get on to this? I mean, weren't we talking about Mary and Joseph? (laughs) Well, when I look at the story of Mary and Joseph, I'm reminded by their example and by their lives that the primary obedience God calls us to is faithful presence, not fearful outrage. Outrage the courage just to keep doing what God calls us to do in spite of the things that we face. And When hit with the reality that their plans to return to Bethlehem were blocked by a tyrant king, they just simply allowed the Lord to redirect them in an unexpected way that allowed them to get on with their lives and get on with their mission and get on with their purpose. And they didn't let fear stop them They didn't turn around and go back to Egypt. On the other hand, they didn't kind of organize a Twitter campaign against King Archelaus in Jerusalem. No, they just got on with what God called them to do. Where God called them to go. And verse 22 says that when Joseph learned that the new ruler was Archelaus, and he was afraid to go there. When he was warned in a dream, it says that they left for the region of Galilee, and so the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. Now, of course, we've read Luke's story, and we know that from Luke's gospel that Nazareth is really where it all started, right? But we need to understand that that Nazareth really wasn't much to go back to. In fact, they say it probably only had about 500 people. It was in the middle of nowhere, far from anything important or powerful or significant. But that's where Mary and Joseph and Jesus, in response to the word from the Lord, settled. And that's where they got on with life. That's where Jesus was raised. And that was where he grew in favor with God and man. And here's where this speaks so powerfully to me. Instead of me getting all anxious and afraid and fearful of things that I cannot control and things that I can do very little about, instead of allowing my fear to devolve into paralyzing apathy or allowing my fear to rise up in anger the most important thing i can do is just get on with my life serving jesus the best that i can in the place that he's called me to i just need to keep doing what god's called me to do i just need to continue to walk forward with my life friends it's called faithful presence I just want to be present in the moment where God has called me, and I want to be faithful to what he's put on my life and what he's put in my heart, the mission of God that he's called all of us to. James Davidson Hunter says this, a a theology of faithful presence first calls Christians to attend to the people and the places that they experience directly. It's not that believers should be disconnected from or Avoid responsibility for people and places and issues across the globe, far from it. But with that said, the call of faithful presence give priority to what is right in front of us. In our family, in our community, in our neighborhood and and the city and the people that live there. Because friends, it's, it's when we... Pay attention to what's directly in front of us, the the things that we engage with every day. It's there that we learn forgiveness and humility and practice kindness and hospitality and charity. And it's there that we grow in patience and wisdom and we become clothed in compassion and gentleness in joy. And that's how we change our world. That's how people see Jesus. To say it another way, as followers of Jesus, we really need to focus first on the things that we can do rather than energize the fear of things that we don't like or can't change. And if we will focus on being faithfully present in the place where God directs us, in the place where God guides us, in the place where God calls us, then God is able to continue to work in and through us and begin to address those things that are beyond ourselves. So as followers of Jesus, we just can't get sucked into this age of outrage with its anger and with its fear because, friends, it's going to paralyze us it's going to destroy our ability to accomplish what God has called us to do. We just need to keep serving Jesus. We just need to keep pressing in to what He's called us to, uh, with gentleness and humility and with respect and with generosity for others. And with love and passion and commitment to God. And we need to understand that gentleness and boldness are not mutually exclusive. We still need to be bold, but we need to be bold in our love. We need to be bold in our kindness. We need to be bold in our courage. And just like Joseph, we're called to faithfully just get on with the job. Even if the world's in stormy seas. Even if Captain Crazy is on the throne. Even if we feel threatened or marginalized, or displaced. You know, the rest of the story is interesting. The rest of the story is Paul Harvey. Anybody remember Paul Harvey? And now you know the rest of the story. Yeah, I'm showing my age. Anyway, the rest of the story is that Archelaus, because of his violence and emotional instability was actually removed from power by Rome and banished to Gaul. So God used Rome to take care of Archelaus. And then you read the next chapter and the next verse there in Matthew talks about a guy that God raised up by the name of John the Baptist. And John came of age and John confronted the powers of the political and religious establishment, paving the way for Jesus' ministry. And it was Jesus who eventually confronted the powers of evil and defeated them. Not through angry Facebook posts, but through his shocking death on a cross. And friends, one day Jesus will come again in power and in great glory and every eye will see him and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But until then... Until then, we are called to embrace his humility and embrace his servanthood and his love. As we look forward to a new year, living in a world fueled by fear, we need to choose a different path. And I want to close with this passage from Isaiah chapter 8. You want a good word for the new year, a good verse? It says, the Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. He says, don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. Don't call everything a conspiracy. And don't live in dread of what frightens them. No, make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He's the one you should fear. He is the one who should make you tremble because he's the one that will keep you safe. And So friends, I don't know what 2020 will bring. There are things that I cannot control. There's going to be curveballs that I don't see coming, but I'm going to keep my focus on Jesus. I'm going to keep my focus on him, and I'm going to choose faithful presence, serving Jesus the best I can where I am in my community my neighborhood, my church. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the privilege that we have of serving you in this place and in this time. Jesus, help us not to get distracted by the things that are going on around us. But God, help us keep our eyes focused on you. Jesus, you're the one who knows. You're the one who will guide. And you are the one who's called us to faithful presence here in this place and in this time. And may we as your people serve you with fullness of hearts, our eyes fixed on you, until you come. God's people said, Amen. Would you stand with me, friends? We're going to close our service in just a moment, but uh, if you're here this morning and there's something going on in your life that you would like to receive, prayer for our prayer team is going to be in our, our lounge here, just through these doors on the piano side.